God, we're grateful to gather together uh, this morning as your uh, body, as the body of Christ. And Lord, I pray that even as we're together, as we hear each other sing, as we greet one another, um, as we catch up with how the week went, uh, that Lord, our souls would just be encouraged by being with the saints. Lord, we want to pray for Evan this morning as he opens up 1 Thessalonians and he teaches us uh, from your word. And God, we're just thankful for your word. We're thankful that we don't have to guess when it comes to who you are and who we are and how we relate to you, that you tell us very clearly in your scriptures. And so, God, we pray for Evan as he opens the scriptures that, Lord, he would teach us what is in there, that he would lean upon your Holy Spirit to give him the right words to say, and that you'd give him joy as he gets to use his gift of teaching um, to help build our faith. So we love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, Grace Hill. What a gift to be together. I love getting a chance to preach because it's just another opportunity to say what a gift God has given us in coming together each week. Mel and the team focused our hearts and our emotions around why God calls us together to look to him. What a gift. I pray we don't take this for granted. I really, really do. I pray you don't take this for granted. God is kind to us. Guys, I want to say I had a hard week. Now listen, my family loves me. They love me. All right? Right? They love me, right? Yes? No encouragement from you guys this morning. All right, so here's the deal. My kids all have different ways of kind of connecting with me. And my youngest daughter, I don't know where she gets her deep emotions from. I have no idea. Okay, maybe I do have somewhat of an idea. Anyway, my youngest daughter, she loves to just spend time with me occasionally. But when she does, and like I have her attention, it's like the greatest thing ever. But I had a hard week, okay? She does this thing with me, and she like will grab my face, and she'll like put it in her little hands, and then she gets it close, and she'll go and look deeply in my eyes. And I'm like, oh, man, this is, is going to be good. I'm bracing for this moment. That's so rare. And then she looks at me and she'll go, what's wrong with your face? Gosh, why, why, you have wrinkles here and what's that splotchy thing, dad? Okay, okay. They love me, right? Okay, good. So recently she started to put her hands in my hands, her hands in my face and she did it to me. And then instead of looking at my face, she started to do this. She would take my face and she went like this. So y'all see what you're looking at? Why are you laughing already? Okay. And then she said, Dad, you're getting bald. I was like, geez. My family loves me, right? Okay. So that's happened. Then my middle son, this week he's at soccer practice. I go and pick him up. And he's, I'm just saying, hey, dude, how was practice? Like, he's trying to get to this black team, which is his, the premier team, and he's on the B team. And he's, it's been fun to watch him. So I've just been, our family's been really excited to watch him grow and, and like, learn, like, hey, I have this, he's had assertiveness. And they're talking, he's like, Dad, I got homework tonight. I got to do this. I'm like, great, what is it? Coach said, we got to watch YouTube to watch this international player, Fabregas. And I was like, I know who he is. I was like, yeah. He's like, so we want to watch him so I can watch how to look on the field and have awareness. And I was like, okay, great. Remember, this has been a hard week for me. So then... We get home, we put that on, and we're like watching it. He eats dinner, and he's doing it, and he's like, I'm like, oh, buddy. And I'm thinking, this is my moment where he might lean in and like go, oh, Dad, I remember you used to play. 
Maybe I have a chance to be like, yes, yeah, son, I can share a couple of things, I guess. Uh, I have some time. I'd love to show you a couple of things. No, no, he doesn't ask me anything. Uh, so I leave the room, and I come back in. And I'm like, they're still watching soccer, still watching soccer stars. Guys, they're talk, watching soccer stars who once had hair and now at the end of their career don't. What? And I'm literally going like, dude, I'm really struggling. I, like, my family loves me, right? And I looked at him, I said, where are you watching this? He goes, I don't know, it's just interesting, Dad. And he said, have you thought about surgery? Gosh. So listen, what do you do? Where do you go for for comfort in times like that? What am I supposed to do? Like, I'm looking for my kid's affirmation. Yes, in some ways, I know. But don't judge me. You would do it too. I'm just feeling self-conscious. But in all seriousness, where do you go for comfort when you go through hard things? We'll be continuing our work through Paul's letter, as Alan said. So if you have your Bible, go to 1 Thessalonians, and we'll be in chapter 2, verse 17. But just put your finger on that. So if you have your iPad, put your finger on that. If you have a book, a real Bible, hold your place there. But Paul is actually going to answer this very question for us in his letter. What brings Paul comfort in the midst of hard times, in the midst of relational difficulties, in the midst of circumstances that are going on that are really, really hard? This week, I got to meet with, and this was interesting, I met with four different people this week. And they were sharing their stories in very different ways with me. One was another pastor in the area, and he was sharing his story of just really struggling through his in-laws getting older. And he was just like, Ev, this has been really hard. I don't know. We're not, this is new territory for us. And some of you know what that is like in here. I know that. I've even heard some of you share this. And, and so it was interesting. As he was sharing this, he got to a part of the story where he said, hey, what we found out was what, that my, my in-laws were going through a much harder season of life than we realized. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? He goes, well, we thought they were really good. But then they admitted, oh, things have been really bad for a long time. But we didn't want to burden you with it, is what they said. And my friend was like, I, I wish we'd have known sooner because we could have provided some comfort much sooner than now. I was meeting with a, another friend who was struggling through some relationship conflict. We all go through relationship conflict. But what was interesting is this person was sharing some of their story in that conflict, going through hard times. They're like looking like, God, where, where is God in this? I don't understand. Like, what in, what, like, I know what God wants me to do, but what do, like, I was just struggling. And they just said, hey, I'm just really thankful I don't feel alone in this. And I thought, oh, man. And it's not because I could fix anything. It's just there. But another friend who is um, not a believer invited me over this week, and I was really excited to spend time with this person and doesn't have any interest in the Lord. And I thought we were just gonna be playing video games. I was so excited. I'm just gonna be straight up. I was like, this has been a long week. It's been a hard week. Y'all heard about my hair thing with my kids. I was like, I'd love to just veg out. So I'm excited. Stacy's like, yeah, go, Evan, you need this. And go eat, take some Rogaine on your way. But anyway, she didn't say that. She didn't say that. Stacy. you didn't say that, I know. But I'm going to meet with this friend. And I think, we're just going to shoot the breeze. It's kind of what we do, because I just spend this time with him. And all of a sudden, he goes, I don't want to, I don't want to play video games. And I was like, dang, man. 
And this guy, who's stoic, doesn't ever share anything really of substance, shares his kid is in a bad, bad place. Like, like I was like, wait, how bad? And then he spent the next three hours sharing how hard it's been for he and his family. And almost to the verge of tears, saying, like, we're going to just leave. We're going to Montana. This place is a pressure cooker. I don't know what to do. He was angry, like literally very, very colorful words about all the people in his community that are trying to help them. And, man, I just sat there going, like, man, this is a really hard time. What comfort does this brother have right now? Brother, I say that. Like, he's not a brother yet. I pray he will be. But what comfort does this friend have in the midst of this really, really hard time? And see, what's so interesting about all of these stories, and as it connects to where we'll be in the letter today that Paul writes, is this, is that we will see that each one of those stories, and what Paul's going to say, is that we needed someone else. We needed someone else. Paul's answer to this question of what does he do for comfort in the times of distress is rooted in two things today, and this will be on the screen. These are the two things we're going to see today as we read this text, and this is his answer to the question of what comfort does he find in the midst of difficult circumstances, and the first thing is this. He's going to say the gospel of Jesus Christ is the basis of, for our understanding of God's love in the midst of struggle, suffering, and discomfort. And the second thing Paul is going to show us today in the section of text we're going to be in is that God's love for us, rooted in the gospel, God's love for us, through our love of each other, literally produces comfort and So we've been working through this letter, and just for quick context, as we look at where you have your place, where Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica. And we actually looked at a map. How about that? How cool is that? Some of y'all were like, I remember when I was in five, five years old, fifth grade, listening to a sermon and going like, all you wanted to look at was the cool colored maps at the back, right? Nobody, that was me for sure. If you grew up in the church, I know you were like checking out the maps and like, I love me some maps. We looked at the maps, and Alan walked through it. It was really cool. And what we saw in that time, and don't look at a map right now. I'm watching. Don't look at a map. What we saw with that was all of the ways that Paul was on his mission to share the gospel, to plant churches, and to encourage one another. And all of the hardships we saw traced on that map of all the places that God was sending him. And all of those places were hard. And so this letter to the Thessalonians, and if you're studying this, what's helpful is just to know there's, there's two main sections to this. Chapters one through three is Paul encouraging the church. He's encouraging them. And so we're gonna wrap up Paul's encouragement to the church and answering that question of where does he find comfort? And the second part that Alan's gonna start next week is, is the part from chapters four and five. And he's gonna say, man, I want to see you continue to grow in this faith that I'm encouraging you in today. So that's how that's set up. And so, listen, this is a new church. They just pledged allegiance to King Jesus. We're gonna find out that Paul hasn't been gone long, and yet you're gonna find that he's incredibly emotional towards this church and what's going on for them. He's struggling, they're struggling. There's this tension, and he's trying to figure this out, and he's trying to connect with them, and all this stuff, and he, we find out he is so deeply concerned. He's like, I want to know, are you okay? 
Are you okay? He desperately wants, so he sends Timothy. We're gonna read this in the text. Timothy comes back, shares surprisingly that they're doing really well. We'll look at that and their faith seems intact. Their love for him and one another is strong. And this is where Paul finds comfort and hope in the midst of his struggle. That they're established in the gospel of Jesus and they're building deep and meaningful relationships with one another. That is what Paul says brings him hope. So the sermon of our, the title of our sermon this morning is established and comforted. So let's read. 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 through the end of chapter three. We're gonna read that together. It's on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. And we're gonna walk through this verse by verse this morning. Where does Paul find comfort in the midst of hard things? But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. But what is our hope and joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. And just as you know, For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now Timothy has come to us from you and he's brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you for this reason. Brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live. If you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God we Pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Father, I pray this morning that you might meet us. God, I know that you're here and you're with us, and so we celebrate and glory in that fact that you are here in our presence. As we sung truth about you, as we fellowshiped with one another, as we introduced ourselves or said hello and just welcomed one another in the Lord this morning. Father, we know that you're with us, but I pray, God, that you would literally, through your Holy Spirit, meet us in those places where we are struggling this morning to find your hope from your word this morning. God, I do not know where everyone in this room is, but I do know in this room, all over the map, Father, there are 
different struggles and trials. And all of us, God, are longing to find comfort in the midst of hard things. As Mel even pointed out, whether it's relationships, God, or things at work, circumstances, God, all of us are longing to find comfort. And God, would you do that very thing this morning? Would you provide comfort? I'm thankful for your words, Jesus, where you say, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so God, I pray this morning that we would find deep rest and encouragement in your word and what you have to say to us through it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Verse 17, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. See, what's happening is Paul and his companions are, 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 have been torn away. That word torn. As we've seen over the past several weeks, we know that there's just been this movement against Paul and all that he's trying to do. There's people who are persecuting him in all different places everywhere he goes. And so the same is true in Thessalonica. And so the same thing is happening, not just to the church, but was happening to them. So they had to escape. Alan already went through that. And so Paul uses the word torn. And that word literally translated is to be made orphaned. So you can imagine what that's like. You have a family intact and then a child is taken away from that family. That's a tragedy. Something tragic has occurred, and that is the, 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 the intensity upon which Paul is using. We've been torn away from you. Even though this was a short amount of time, he hasn't been gone long, and that's how deeply he feels. He says, it's like, we were made orphaned from you guys. That's how much he's longing to be with them. And this just helps us understand how painful this separation is for Paul. Verse 18, he says, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. They were hindered. And see, this, this, this doesn't merely say they were hindered in like this longing, like, oh man, I'd love to go to your house, but I, I can't, I got too much stuff going on. No, he's actually saying hindered meant I was literally kept physically away from you because Satan hindered us. Stopped is another translation that other texts use. And that's literally a military kind of reality going on that there was things like a blown up path that they couldn't pass through anymore to then physically come to him. Paul is saying that I'm being held back from you for many reasons, and one of them is that Satan does not want us to be there. So he highlights that this isn't merely just in thought, but that this is spiritually, that spiritual warfare is alive and active. Satan hates God, and Satan hates anyone who loves Jesus, and he hates the work that the church is meant to do. And so Paul is just recognizing that as a reality for him in his relationship with this church. Satan hindered us. There's a real adversary. And we look at verse 19 through 20. Here we see part of what Paul's answer to what brings him hope in the midst of hard things. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? The answer surprised me. Paul. Sometimes people argue, Paul doesn't seem like he's this great relational guy. He's this deep intellectual guy who all he talks about is, you know, Roman stuff, which is amazing and, and, and unbelievable. But Paul says his joy and hope is you, the Thessalonians. It's you, literally. He knows people's names and they know him. As Alan shared last week, when he's talking about his authority and his leadership, he's going, I shared my life with you and you with me as well. That is his hope. 
He says, the church, these people, these are my hope and joy now. And here's what's crazy. He has an eschatological view in mind as well. And going, and in the future, you are my hope and joy now and the future. Alan's gonna start talking more about that in the letter as we move into uh, chapter four and five. Paul is talking about the second coming of Jesus. That's also where you, the church, is going to be his source of pride, boasting, and joy. I was surprised by that, you guys. The crown of boasting can be translated as Paul being so proud of that church. Imagine what that must have felt like for those reading that letter. Paul, the apostle. I'm I'm so proud of you. Not just now, but when I'm in the presence of Jesus himself, I will be so proud because of you. What must that have felt like for them to read those words? Is that tied to Jesus as his true joy? Of course it is. But the church, the real people, that was his comfort and joy. See, what Paul is referring to here is this cumulative impact of his life and what that's done with the people around him. Yes, he's planting churches all over the place. He would known a lot of people But he writes these letters, the New Testament, over 13 of the letters we have in the New Testament are from him writing to real people like Grace Hill Church this morning, receiving a letter. And he's saying, my life, just like Jesus would say to lay down his life for us, Paul is laying down his life because he loves these people and they love him. That gives him hope now and in the future. The cumulative impact of our life and the impact it has on others means it's really about relationships. They're our comfort in the midst of trials and suffering, and they're our future glory as well. I want to talk more about that in a little bit. But we keep going as we want to work through this text. Verses 1 through 5 in chapter 3. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. Verse five, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Paul is so concerned, so concerned about how they were doing and how they were being established in the gospel of Jesus. Remember, they're kind of like new Christians, right? And he's longing to, and he even says in verse five, he's, he's what? He's fearful. He's fearful. He's in distress that all the work they're doing, that might be in vain. So he sends Timothy and leaves Athens and leaves them alone. Think about that for a second. Like, I don't know what that's like to be in Athens. But we remember, Paul's not having a, a vacation. He's having some really hard times. 
even in that. Like, I know me in our kitchen when it's a mess. If I have help, I don't send it away because I need that help. Here's Paul in far more dire of a circumstance, needing the help of this younger brother, this fellow co-worker in Christ. And he sends Timothy away in their own distress to find out how these people are doing. How much does Paul love these people? And here's where we find the other part to Paul's answer of finding comfort in the midst of hard times. See, he says it's first and foremost, it's rooted in the fact that they have a faith in Jesus. Paul's concern was so great that they might be coaxed away from those who are trying to take them away from the gospel of Jesus that Paul and others had helped establish them in. And so he's nervous because they're young in their faith and, and these hard times are all upon them. And the persecution that was happening to them wasn't just mere talk about getting them. They were like going like, hey, they put their faith in another king, Jesus, and hey, Caesar, what's up with that? And so there's some real persecution happening to these people. And so it would be like someone in here coming to faith in Christ, and all of a sudden our government turns and says, where are the Christians? We're finding them. We would be like, oh, shoot, I hope that such and such knows, uh, can be rooted in their faith right now. It's like, you know, like, oh, man, i got to call that person. we got to find them. We gotta, like, that is the sense of urgency he's feeling that we would kind of understand if something bad happened in our state right now. Oh, man I, man, I haven't had time to tell them all these things. Oh, I need to get there. I want to I make sure, hey, Timothy, go and help them and, 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 and grow in their faith and answer questions they might have because they're young and they don't, don't think they know it all. That is the distress he's feeling here. And so what he wants to find comfort in is, man, is their faith still strong? And Paul's saying, because remember, I told you, suffering's coming, and this is already happening, so, right? And, and here's where we get the greatest emotion from Paul. Verse six. Can you imagine this moment? All that angst, and all of a sudden, he sees Timothy coming from a distance and going, he's about to bring me the report of how they're doing. Paul's fearing the worst, and he gets the greatest news. Your faith and your love has been reported that you remember always me and my fellow coworkers, Timothy, Silas, Paul. You remember us kindly and long to see us and, and we long to see you and for this brother and all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted by your faith. brought. Timothy has brought us this news. The Greek word literally is just a saying that we would use to announce the good news of the gospel of Jesus. That's exactly what Paul says here. This news of you, this great announcement, this was such good news. Can you imagine the exhale that Paul had hearing this report? That's the language. The same as the heralding of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the same as hearing that their faith in Jesus Christ remains. And he could breathe out. I imagine maybe there are not any tears of joy and relief as Timothy recounts this report to Paul. 
The news comes in two parts. Timothy had witnessed the Thessalonians' faith, faith being intact and thriving in the midst of the difficulty. And the second part of that is he's found their love for one another and for Paul being included as reasons of finding great comfort and hope. The phrase long to see us and long to see you means to desire intensely. In verse 7, Paul is just talking about all of the hard things in all of my distress and in all of my affliction. Remember, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul is in the ministry to Macedonia and Achaia. It had been extremely difficult. They were beaten and jailed and defamed in Philippi. In Acts 16 and Philippians 1, persecuted and expelled from that very church in Thessalonica, as we read in Acts 17 and 1 Thessalonians 1. And in Berea, and Paul was rejected and scorned in Athens, from which he's sent Timothy away from him. Right? He describes how he's in Corinth in such weakness and fear and much trembling that we see in 1 Corinthians 2 and Acts 18. And then in verse 8, what do you see in your text? I love what one commentator says. He then says, Paul says this. This surprises me. For now we live. Yes, physically, that's not what he means. Of course they're alive. He's writing the letter. What does he mean? For now we live. I love what this commentator, he said, for Paul, this good news about your faith, Thessalonians, was like a resurrection. Do you feel that? Your faith as a church would be the source and your relationship to God and to one another would be like a resurrection to someone in the midst of trouble and distress. Have you thought about that before? Have you ever just remarked on what the beauty of the ordinariness of the local church and yet the eternal significance that brings? That's what Paul is saying here. It's like a resurrection for him. For now we live. For now we live. If you are standing fast in the Lord, Man, is his hope in Jesus? Yes. And it's tied to the faith of others that gives him comfort, hope, and joy. And this makes sense in, verse of light, in, in light of verse nine when he explodes with gratitude for God, for the work that God is doing in the Thessalonians. Yes, this is where Paul is, of course, attributing all this is God, but in the amazing reality that he uses us and what we do with one another really matters. The church really matters. It is God's plan A. In fact, there's no other plan outside of it. And Paul is rejoicing with gratitude and it's encouraged him and the other workers around him, Silas and Timothy and many others. Paul finds comfort in the midst of hard things through understanding the gospel is the basis of God's love and how that love of God through one another now produces comfort and hope, literally. But I think we live in a day where this is not the norm. I think we live in a day where I don't mean we here necessarily, though I might be wrong. I can't speak for everyone here. But if we're honest, 
do we really feel like we need each other? Like, like honestly, do you need someone else? You don't need to answer that. I, I don't know the answer to that for you. And for us as a culture, as long as we know about right things about God, I mean, well, I'll figure it out. I'm, I'm pretty capable. We're Northern Virginians, right? We can do it. Look at all the great things we do. And I mean that. I'm not being entirely facetious. There's amazing creative works happening all over this room in your workplaces and all the things we're doing and even in our church. I just mean we do default to going, I can do this. I don't need someone else. Or certainly, I'm not going to rely or be dependent on someone else. I think this is a major problem and a hindrance for us to experience what Paul has talked about today. What Paul is remarking to this church in Thessalonica, I think the culture in America, and not just today, is one that with all its blessings of freedom and protection, certainly has its deep faults. I'm not saying anything new. Listen, I, 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 there's a Frenchman, and I love this quote because I find it incredibly provoking. Alexis de Tocqueville in America over 175 years ago describes America this way. They, America, owe nothing to any man. They expect nothing from any man. They acquire the habit of always considering themselves as standing alone, and they are apt to imagine that their whole destiny is in their own hands. Thus, not only does democracy make every man forget his ancestors, but it hides his descendants and separates his contemporaries from him. It throws him back forever upon himself alone and threatens in the end to confine him entirely within the solitude of his own heart. Now, this is just someone else's perspective. It's, it's a book called, anyway, you can, you can read it. It's long. It's an interesting perspective. I wrestle with what he says. With all of the good things that we are a part of in this country, we are a part of a culture that celebrates rugged individualism. We don't need you. I don't need you. And we celebrate that. That makes it hard for us to hear Paul's letter in its proper context. That makes it really hard for us. It's hard for us to, to hear these words of affection for others and it's really hard for us to actually experience that kind of affection for one another if we don't really, really need someone else. But we just choose to just go, yes, I'll do it. Eh, if I need it, great. If I can't, great. No problem. I don't really need you. Great, so this is why we're working so hard to cultivate deep, meaningful relationships here. Like, I think Alan, is, we're trying to be incredibly upfront what we believe God is calling us to do here. It's countercultural to have deep, meaningful relationships. That is not the norm. I'm not saying it never happens. I'm saying it is not the norm in society, and it's also sadly not the norm in churches. That's not God's intent, Grace Hill. It's Paul's whole point in this section of his letter. Paul knows what the gospel of Jesus Christ means. It means that Jesus literally shed his blood to purchase you and me for his own. His blood has bought us 
We are not our own. Jesus' blood has purchased us, yes, freedom, but freedom from sin and shame, not freedom from following the commands and call of God and what it means to follow him in his word. And that's what Paul is doing. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. A people following Jesus together in meaningful relationships. It looks like this. It's helping give courage to one another every day. As it is called today. It's stirring one another up to love and good works. And to stir someone up to love and good works literally means to provoke. And that means to be able to know specific things about specific people to help encourage them in the things that God has called them to do. Psalm 90 says, establish the works of my hands and the words of my mouth. And we're supposed to help one another in that as followers of Jesus in his kingdom going out to the world to make disciples of every nation. That is our call. Jesus bought us with a price. It costs his blood for us to do that. Confessing and repenting to one another is what the kingdom of God looks like. Building bridges instead of walls with people around us is what the gospel does and what the kingdom of God looks like. It's committing to be there for one another, just as Jesus has promised you and me to never leave or forsake us. That is what the kingdom of God looks like. And when we get to heaven, Paul is writing this. Again, there's an eschatological view here. He's saying when we get to heaven, the cumulative impact of our lives on one another will be our joy. It'll be your joy, your joy, your joy, your joy, and my joy. We will look around with Jesus and give thanks and boast in Christ of look at what you've done in my life through the gospel, God. And we will boast together in that the cumulative impact of what we have done as we have been made in the image of God to make more disciples, we will boast, and that will be our crown on the wedding feast day. We will give thanks to Jesus. That is what Paul is saying. We're boasting in the face of King Jesus on what he's done in our lives with relationship to other people. Do we love God with what the scriptures would say with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength? The greatest commandment, love the Lord God this way. What is the second greatest commandment that Jesus says to us? It's to love your neighbor, yourself. It helps us understand what Paul's saying. That my comfort and hope in hard things is you. Now, and in the coming age, in the advent of Jesus, the second and final time. Paul's living this out. Paul's experiencing this as he is praying for the Thessalonians to be rooted, to be established and comforted. Grace Hill, as we read this letter, Paul's longing for that church is the same one that God has for this church here today, right now, to be established and comforted. In faith in Jesus, and in deep, meaningful relationships with one another. Some of you may not know who Jesus is. You may know about him. You might be here, you're hearing me say the word Jesus and that there's this guy and he did some things. But you don't really like know him, know him. Like the way Paul is talking and willing to give his life and the way we're talking about the lives of the church, giving ourselves to one another. That's kind of weird. 
You may have never considered putting your faith and trust in Jesus. And see, someone else like Paul was willing to give his life for the sake of other people, to lay down his interests for the interests of others. And that is this person, Jesus, who wants you to live in his kingdom, to be encouraged, but to also give encouragement, to be comforted, but to also give comfort, to have hope in the midst of the hard things that like my friend shared with me on Friday night. I'm longing for my friend and I'm, I, it's awkward for me because I'm like, I don't know what to do with this in that moment other than just listen and pray and then go, what do I say, God, to this? I want him in the kingdom of God to know that there's people here, right here, that he doesn't even know yet that would give their lives for him and his family and his two sons. Like, that is what I long for. Who do you long for with that? I know you've got people in your life that you would long for that very thing, for them to come here and to know they're gonna be loved and cared for and sacrificed for. Because guess what? If you don't know Jesus, that's what he did for you. And if you've been putting him off, man, my, 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 my sincere plead with you comes from a verse in Revelation. It'll be on the screen behind me, but my, my, my question to you is to, to, to plead to put your faith and trust in Jesus so you can be a part of the kingdom of God in this way right here. Right now? For eternity, you can find comfort and hope, real comfort and hope, real comfort and hope because it has faces and names attached to it. Revelation chapter three, verse 20. For you who may not put your faith in Jesus, this is the words of the one who has made you. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. That's right now. That's right now. The door, he's standing there and he's knocking as I'm talking. If anyone hears my voice, Jesus says, and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and him and he with me. Friend, do you hear his voice? You hear his knock. If you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus today, come find me or Alan or anyone who's sitting here. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to help you, introduce you to what it means to be a part of this kingdom. It's just a journey. It's a relationship. It's messy and it's beautiful. Would love to talk to you with what it's like to be a part of that here. And would you go on that journey with us? Grace Hill, I want to close with the prayer that Paul himself prayed as the band comes up to lead us in responding to the word of God this morning. Here is our closing prayer. This is Paul's prayer for his church, and this is the prayer for Grace Hill Church. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 11 through 13. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. Father, would you increase and abound our love here at Grace Hill for one another and for all.
God, would you establish our hearts blameless in holiness before you? At the coming of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, with all his saints. Father, I just really do, I just beg that you, through your spirit and your word, would encourage those here this morning who have heard your word. Father, who would maybe even wrestle with some of the implication of what deep, meaningful relationship means. That can be risky, can be hard. And yet, God, I pray that as, they, as we even got to feel the emotions from Paul and his longing to see their faith in you, Jesus, be rooted and established and grown, that, Father, that their faith was an encouragement to Paul. And so, God, at Grace Hill, I know, Lord, that that is your longing and desire for us, that as we understand the gospel of Jesus, as we read and study your word and know more about you, that, God, that would in turn, that would, that would cause us to swell in love for one another. And Father, that that would be a a, a journey of faith and repentance over and over again within this church because we're going to mess up, God. But your blood brought the freedom from sin and shame. And so Father, just give you thanks for that this morning. And so Father, I pray that if there's those who are just really suffering in this church right now, God, I pray that today would be a genuine hope and encouragement, not a mere pep talk, God, because this is your word. This is your very word to us. You're with us this morning, God, and you're telling us to to look to you as as we trust you for what you have for us. And you're telling us, Lord, that our joy in front of you will be how we love each other. Give us hope now in the midst of things that we don't know how it's gonna go, God. And so, Father, I pray for those who are struggling in this room, God, that you would remind them that you are right there. And Father, I pray for those who don't know you. God, our, our, our longing at Grace Hill Church is to love one another and to love this community, to be a diverse one, God, because you are diverse and your world is like that and the community we live in. But God, we want people to know Jesus. And so Father, we know that you say that they will know your love by how we love one another. And so God, I beg you to help us be that kind of church that sacrifices for one another because of your love for us. God, I just, I know that's a work we can't do without your spirit. And so God, I just pray, would you keep Grace Hill established and comforted for all time until you come back, God. Help us to get after all the things that we're trying to do in this community and within our own relationships with one another and our community groups and with our serving teams, Lord, with just our relationships, our work, our jobs, our, our marriages, Father, our longings for those relationships. God, would you help us to be established and comforted? Please, God, don't leave us. God, please help us not do this on our own strength, but to trust you. Ask all this in Jesus' name.